uh, tonight, um, our our message is on conflict resolution. Um, we are going to be looking at this topic because because every if you pick up a book about marriage or or dating, um, and it's a Christian book and it's and it's a well written book, that book will most likely contain a chapter or two about conflict resolution. It's just natural because. Because when we deal with relationships between you know ourselves and other people, we're we're dealing with something, we're dealing with a sinner who has a relationship with another sinner, imperfect people trying to live together, trying to manage life together in this imperfect world. And and the idea of a perfect, peaceful, no arguments ever type of marriage is simply impossible. I mean, when we when we talk about having a deep relationship with someone, most likely in that relationship, there has been feelings of hurt, feelings of betrayal, anger, you know, and, and these emotions, they, they flow in and out of our relationships, especially with the ones who are most closest and dearest to us. And when we look upon, when we look upon this world, we... Uh, when we see the conflicts as it arises in the world, we see that many personal conflicts deal with a broken relationship. Right? When, we, when we talk about stuff like divorce, when we see how divorce rates are rising. It's, it's an issue of broken relationships. We, we can think about just the dating culture in general, right? And, and how in a dating culture, you're dealing with people who are dating and breaking up and it's constantly just different kinds of emotions, different kinds of relationships, and there's, a, there's some brokenness to it all. And we, we see how this all contributes to a fear of long-term commitment. And we can, we can apply this aspect of broken relationship outside the dating realm. We can think about stuff like single family homes, think about orphans, even think about the generational divide between you know, the older generation, the younger generation, we can even talk about racism, or we can think about the political divide. There's conflicts between human beings all around the world in every sphere. And so it's essential then for us to, to talk about this topic, especially when we're in the midst of a marriage, um, marriage series. It's important for us to talk about how to resolve conflict biblically. Because you are going to deal with conflict. You're going to deal with conflict if you're in a dating relationship now. You're going to deal with conflict in your future marriage. And when we look in scripture, when we look throughout scripture, we see that the, the cause of our broken relationship is indeed our sin. Our sin is the root cause for our broken relationship. And, and, and this is important for us to grasp because, because God God created all of us. God created humanity and created humanity in his image to be a reflection of who he is. And God is indeed a fellowship. He is a trinity. He is three in one. There's three distinctive persons, and yet they're so unified that they are considered as one God. Humanity is meant to be a unified race of people, diverse in different cultures and different personalities, and yet united as one. But sin broke that image. Sin broke that image. Sin has become a problem for us. And we, when we recognize that the, the issue with our broken relationship is sin, then we have an answer. And the answer is the gospel. The gospel of Christ not only reconciles us with God, but it also reconciles us with each other. This is what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 tells us. It tells us, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is amazing news. The gospel gives us hope as believers. Because in the gospel, we now have the means to resolve conflicts. In the gospel, we see now 
reconciliation is not impossible, no matter how hard it may seem to you, no matter how high that mountain may look. And so what we'll see in this message is we will see how the gospel enables us to pursue reconciliation with one another. And there are two situations that I want to apply this message to, because if we think about reconciliation, right, we think about conflict, um, conflict resolution, we can really apply it to almost any, you know, relationship we have, you know, it can be with a father and a son, it can be with amongst friends, it can be amongst co-workers, but because it's the marriage series, I want us to focus in upon the, upon the relationships within a dating relationship, and even, even amongst those who may have broken up in a relationship, what is that? What does that look like? Well, how does reconciliation look like in a relationship between two people who have broken up? And what we'll see is that in both cases, whether you're dating, you have an argument right now, or whether or not you, you, you just got out of a relationship, we can see that there is reconciliation to be found in the gospel. And so with that, let us turn, let's turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verse 12 to 14. This will be our central passage. Let's take some time to turn Bibles there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. And what we'll see here in this passage is that Paul here, uh, Paul here is, he's telling the church to put on their new self in Christ. And, and, and so earlier in the chapter, Paul describes how our old life has been put to death in Christ. And our new self, our new life has been raised up in Christ's resurrection. And so we see this theme of death and life. But this theme of death and life doesn't just happen when we first get saved. This theme of death and life reigns and flows through the rest of our lives here on earth. We are constantly putting to death sin and putting on the life of holiness found in Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. In verse 5, he tells us to put to death what is earthly in you. He lists out what's earthly, sexual morality, impurity. And then later on in verse verse 8, he talks about anger, wrath, malice, slander. We are to put these things to bed, to root them out, to destroy them. And as we do that, as we take out these sins, these these earthly vices from our lives, we are to replace them with new virtues found in Christ. And that's what we see here in our passage. And what we see here in our passage are these new new virtues found in Christ that are meant to help us reconcile our social relationships with one another. And so here... In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, we will see here four keys, then, four keys to reconciliation. Let's read this passage. This is God's word. It says, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The first key we'll see here on reconciliation is to reconcile as God's children. Reconciles God's children. What we know here is that we, Paul here is telling us to put on, to put on these virtues, to put on these Christian attributes, put on Christ. But he tells us to do it as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. We see here that we can't, we don't have our own strength to put on these virtues. We are fully dependent upon God. And, and, and so we must remember then our identity as Christians, that we are indeed saved by God alone. And we are saved not because we are smart, not because we saw some kind of puzzle in life. We didn't figure out the mystery of life here. We weren't saved simply even because we believe. 
we are saved because God chose us. And that is the foundation of the gospel. God chose you before you even consider choosing him. He loved you first. You were set apart for salvation because God first loved you. John 10 verse 14, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me. See, Jesus knew exactly who you were when he laid down his life at the cross. He knew who you were. Just consider your own salvation. Right? Ask, just think about your own testimony. You, you, never, you never ask God to sacrifice his son for you. But God did. God sent his only beloved son to the cross so that long before you were born, you may experience God's love for you and be saved. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this, in the gospel, is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember that you are a child of God, not by accident. You didn't accidentally just fall into God's grace. You, you didn't choose God yourself. God chose you to be saved. And that's what Paul here is talking about here in, in, in Colossians chapter 3. Right? God has chosen you as his own, and he has called you holy and beloved. And holy here means to be set apart. He has set you apart from this world to be saved, to be called one of his saints. And the word beloved here tells us the motivation. The motivation of why God has called you is because God loves you. He calls you his beloved. This is an amazing truth for us to clean on. This is the foundation that we need so that we can pursue reconciliation. And this foundation gives us two reminders. First, it tells us that God's election, God's election of you, election of us, tells us, reminds us of his unending mercy towards us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 45, this great passage, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's love and mercy for you is unbounding. And this is important for us to understand because what often stops us from pursuing reconciliation with other people is, is, often, is often our lack of trust that God will forgive us again. You see, when we deal with broken relationships, when we deal with a brokenness, especially if we're dating someone, we messed up or they messed up and whatever it may be, again and again, what we feel in our hearts is we feel like we failed. We feel like we've hurt others in our failures. We feel like we did something wrong. And again and again, we, we, un, we, we ask ourselves, we wonder, maybe, maybe this time God won't forgive me. And maybe this time, this is it. There's no hope for reconciliation. Beloved, remember the cross. Remember your calling that Christ died for you so that you may know the boundless riches of God's love and mercy. The second reminder of God's election is that it reminds us of our stance as forgiven sinners by grace alone. That we on our own cannot save ourselves. We see here, we remember that we were once wicked and defiled people who deserve judgment for our sins. And when we remember this, it keeps us sober. It keeps us humble. It keeps us grateful. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
no one may boast. Reconciliation then requires a certain humility in our hearts to not exalt yourself, but to exalt God alone. You see, when you remember God's love for you, when you remember that he has saved you from utter wretchedness, you remember that reconciliation is ultimately not about you. It is ultimately about God. And so we consider then kind of this, if we consider steps then, the first step to reconciliation, the first step to resolving conflicts is to come before God in a humble state. And to, 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 to dig into your own heart and see your own sin, to step away from the conflict for a moment and, and settle your heart before God. You know, right? Because when we get into arguments, it, emotions are just so riled up and, and there's just this tension in the air and it's, and anything can happen, we're about to burst. And what ends up happening when our emotions are up that high is that it oftentimes blinds us to the own log in our eye. Take a step back, step away from the argument, find a quiet place and meditate. Meditate upon your own heart and look upon your own heart and ask yourself, where am I being weak? Where is my weakness? Recognize that. Acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge your own sin. And then bring that up to God. Bring that up to God and come to know God's boundless grace and mercy for you. Come to know that he has died for you and he has forgiven you. And remember, remember then that you have hope for reconciliation, not because you're able to, but because God has enabled you to. This then leads us to our second key of reconciliation. And our second key is this, to reconcile from the inside out. To reconcile from the inside out. And what we see here for the rest of verse 12 is a, a, it's a list of five virtues. A list of five virtues that Paul tells his readers to put on. And he says, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And taking a look at these five virtues, we can actually split these up into three groups. And the first group is this, compassion and kindness. And what we see here, first of all, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts, the, 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 the more little translation of this is bowels of mercy. Bowels of mercy. This, this, this is dealing with something that's in your innermost parts of your emotional well. And so to put on then the compassionate hearts, to put on a compassionate or a merciful attitude, something that begins from the inside. Then kindness. Kindness then is related to compassion in the sense that kindness is an outward expression of your compassion. And when we speak about kindness, we're, we're talking about acts of grace. There are there, acts of grace that are characterized by a certain kind of gentleness, right? Uh, acts of grace that aren't harsh, that aren't overbearing. Jesus, he, he uses the same word kindness when he says, come to me all those who are heavy laden for my yoke is easy. Now, word easy is the same word for kindness here. Jesus is saying in, in that statement, my yoke is kind. My yoke is not harsh. My burden is light. So ask yourselves, do your actions express this kind of kindness or lightness to others? The second group that we see here is humility and meekness. Humility, again, deals with the inward. It's the inward attitude of servanthood. It's, it's about considering other people's interests above yours. A heart of humility, a heart of humility seeks to serve others. I mean, ultimately, that's what it means to be a leader. Right? To, to be a leader, a Christian leader, is not about you know, having the skills or not about taking charge. To be a Christian leader is about serving people without any selfish ambition. 
meekness then. Meekness is the expression of humility. When you have a humble attitude, your actions and your speech are sprinkled with meekness or another translation is sprinkled with gentleness. And, and, and what that means is that you have a kind and gentle soul to all that you do. This doesn't mean that you do things like in a shy fashion. You're not doing things that, as if you're embarrassed. There's still a certain confidence in you. You're, and what this means is that when you speak truth, your words are firm and yet laden with love. And when you serve other people, your actions are sure. And yet they are pure in every way. In the last group here, one word, patience. Patience. And what we see here is that patience is not, patience is not a measurement of, of, of how long you're able to wait in line for, for your burger or for your boba, how long you're willing to wait in line for Disneyland. Patience is an inward attitude of long-suffering. An inward attitude of long-suffering. It's, it's a willingness to endure. A willingness to bear other people's burdens. To be slow to anger. To be quick to listen. And slow to speak. We see here in this passage... We see here in this passage that the key to recon reconciliation is to do it from the inside out. Do it from the inside out. And reconciliation is not just, is not done by external force, right? Scripture commands you surely to forgive other people, right? To love one another. But you don't just do that. You don't just put off anger, wrath, malice, but you have to put it on. You have to put on these attributes, and that takes a certain kind of work. It takes a certain kind of work, because it can be easy to say, I forgive you. But it takes a lot of work to mean it. It takes a lot of work to mean it. And, and what we have to do at this time is, is to remember again that God saved you. That God has forgiven your sin. Remember that. Remember your calling. That God saved you, not because of any work you did, not because God felt like it. God saved you out of the riches of his mercy and his deep love for you. And so when you put on these attributes, you put it on by working on your heart. Working on your heart to, to, to dwell upon God's truth, to, to talk back to your soul. And say, I must give up my own selfishness, my own self-righteous needs. I must give that all up and I must seek to serve my brother or sister in Christ. When we see here how these first two keys relate to one another. Right? And when we see this as all part of the same step, where when you step away from an argument momentarily, you're doing it not to run away from the argument. You're doing it so that you can seek time and space to center yourself, to gain control over your emotions and your thoughts. We, we, we understand this because conflicts, conflicts are hard to manage. Right? Conflicts are hard to manage and they're hard to manage, not just because it's, you know, there's a lot of stress and stress and tension in them. Conflicts are hard to manage because they are painful, right? And when there's pain, that pain often numbs you. It numbs your senses and, and your ability to think. Pain, pain tempts us. Well, pain tempts us to, to give in to anger, to give in to bitterness, to speak foul about another person. Anger tends to make us think that we are righteous. Pain here, pain, pain is something that we must deal with when we deal with conflict, and it's not easy to. And that's why we need some time and space to process that pain. In other words, it requires patience. It requires patience. But there's, there's a certain 
there's a certain reason why, you know, when we, when we say let's practice putting on these attributes, why it's so hard? Why is it especially hard when you're hurt emotionally? And it's because of this. It's because that pain that you feel reminds you of how weak you are. That pain that you feel reminds you of how weak you are. And it unveils a certain insecurity about yourself. It it unveils certain insecurities about your future, about your own life, about who you are. And what what you do when you feel insecure is you seek to protect yourself. And many times our selfish hearts will seek to find protection in a sense of personal justice or punishment or some kind of swift retribution. But God, God seeks to use your pain to remind you to find your rock and your shelter in him alone. That's how God intends to use your pain pain as we deal with pain and in broken relationships it also reveals another piece of important information it reveals that you care and and that's that's something that could be good or could be bad but pain reveals that you care it could be that you care about the other person who's hurting you or you care about the relationship and that's a good thing but maybe there's sometimes when you realize what you care about may be about yourself or about your own self-righteousness. Whatever that may be, God intends to use that pain to reveal what you care about most. And so in the midst of a conflict, in the midst of a conflict, you need to spend some time addressing your heart, thinking about your relationship, both with God and with the other person. Well, what this all means is that you're not supposed to distract yourself. Don't go busying yourself doing something else. Don't run away from the situation. Don't ignore the person you're in conflict with. Instead, pursue reconciliation. And that begins with you personally. It begins with you meditating upon God's word to seek godly and wise counsel from other people. It means for you to step away, to focus your attention upon God in your heart. And yes, when you do that, you're going to face your pain. But when, when, you, when you do that, when you step away, you start to gain a better perspective about the situation. What we see here is that reconciliation begins first and foremost with your relationship with God. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? No one can. No one can say that they have made their own hearts pure or that they're clean from their sins. But when you go to God, you will find forgiveness. And when you come to acknowledge your own sin and trust in God's mercy, you come to a place of compassion humility. Rob, Rob Green, he, he wrote a book called Tying the Knot, used a lot in our uh, premarital counseling. Uh, I, we, I went through it with my own, with my wife before we got married. And he says this in his chapter about conflict. He says, if you don't need to be defensive or self-righteous with God, it sets you free to be humble and honest with others, even in the middle of a conflict. Just a word about counselors. Remember that the church family is there for you. The church family is here to walk with you through your pain, to walk with both of you as a couple. The church family reminds you that you are not meant to go through this alone. Christ is with you and his body, the church, is also with you. The third key to recon- reconciliation is to reconcile with endurance and freedom. With endurance and freedom. Now, I'll, I'll explain these terms. Let's take a look at verse 13 here. Okay. First, verse 13 begins, Paul writes, bearing with one another. Bearing. And what we see here is, just, is that we are to bear, as to endure. We're, we are to, to be able to 
to endure one another. And, and some commentators, when they look at this word to bear, to bear someone is he, they equate it to, to be putting up with someone. Now, alone, we can, we can perhaps say it might mean that it might mean that you're to, you know, hold your tongue, not say anything, just bear someone's, you know, annoyance and just put up with them. But when, I don't think that's what Paul here means. If you look at the context here, Paul is speaking about someone who should be bearing with others with kindness and patience. In other words, you are to be unfazed in your humility and compassion towards people, even when the person that you're with, the person that you're dating is annoying the heck out of you. Let's take a deeper look in this word to bear, or this whole phrase, bearing with one another. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to bear with one another? What does it mean to bear one, another person's burden? Well, we, when we think about bearing one another's burdens, we think about Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, right? That's where the direct quote comes from, where Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens, Right? And, 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 and we think about it, we, we often go there and we say, you know, we have to, we are to then walk with people through their hard times. And, and I think that we should, we should definitely walk with people during their tough times. But I don't think that's what this past, what that passage is talking about. If you, if you look at the context of Galatians chapter six, in Galatians chapter six, the, the verse right before that, that well-known verse of bearing one another's burden in, in verse one, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, this is here is the context. And what we see here is that to bear one another is to address someone's sin and to bring that person to repentance. And then that's the thing. Right? When, we, when we talk about addressing someone else's sin, oftentimes it's, you're dealing with something that they don't want to hear. Right? They, they, may, they might get mad at you, or they might not like you for that moment you're telling them about their sin. And when that happens, doesn't that burden our souls? Doesn't that become, make, make our, our hearts feel weightier, feel heavier? Doesn't confronting sin become so hard? You see here that reconciliation, reconciliation is done with a certain kind of endurance that bears one another. Because what you're doing in reconciliation is that you're confronting both your own sin and the other person's sin. You see, conflict is rarely a one-way street. And so when you reconcile, it's going to require you to bear with the other person, and for that person to bear you as well. And if you care about the other person, when you care about this relationship that you might be having a conflict in, you will find the strength and the will to bear their burdens. We see here in this, in this, in this point that we are also to reconcile with freedom. Paul writes, continuing verse 13, he tells us to forgive each other. To forgive one another. And, and Paul here is telling us that no matter how many complaints that someone may have about you, no matter how many unjust claims, no matter how many times the finger has been pointed, no matter how many times the blame has been shifted, you are to forgive one another. And the key here is that forgiveness must be like how God has forgiven you. To forgive one another then, to not hold that sin against the other person ever again. Because that's exactly how God has forgiven you. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, God says this. He says, I will be merciful towards their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. This is what it means to reconcile with freedom. is to let go of that baggage. 
to let go of that baggage. To forgive someone is to remember their sins no more. And what that means is it doesn't mean you develop some kind of amnesia. You just, you know, something, boop, that, that memory goes away. You will still remember their sins in your mind, but you don't hold that sin against them anymore. Don't hold against them anymore. You don't ever bring it up. You don't. You don't. You don't keep it in your head. You don't dwell upon it. Uh, an author, Christian author, Ken. I think his last name is pronounced Sand. Could be Sand. Not completely sure, but but he in in his chapter about reconciliation, he he lists four promises that you are making when you forgive someone, and these are the four promises. He says. When you forgive, you're doing this. You're making these promises. You're saying, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Forgiveness is reconciliation with freedom. To free you, to let go and to move on. And when you remember that God himself holds nothing against you, who are you to hold grudges against others? And so when you think about your conflicts, when you think about your conflicts with, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's, it's important to first take some time to calm down, to, to pray, right, and to resettle yourself. But the next step is to communicate. To communicate this kind of forgiveness and this kind of forbearing with one another. To communicate with one another and to do it directly. Don't, don't, don't ask for forgiveness over text. Don't do it through email, but do it directly. Face-to-face -face if possible, but if not, then at the very least, do it on the phone. Communicate and talk about what has happened. Talk about the situation and come with a heart that is ready to reconcile with endurance and freedom. And again, when you come to a conflict and you're trying to resolve it, we have to remember conflicts finds faults on both sides. Conflicts find faults on both sides. It happens from both parties. And so come ready. When you come to this conversation, come ready to ask for forgiveness and to forgive. And when you're doing both, it's important to be specific about what you're talking about. Let the other party, the other person know that you hear them and that you are being heard. Right? Be specific when you're asking for forgiveness. Right? Be specific about what you've done wrong and how you've hurt them and ask for forgiveness because this demonstrates to that person that you have definitely thought this out. You have thought this out, not just from your perspective, but also from their perspective. You thought out fully about what you have done wrong, how you have contributed to this conflict. And you're not just asking forgiveness for the sake of doing so. You're asking forgiveness because you honestly recognize what went wrong on your side. And then when you forgive that other person, you know, when, you, when you're, when you're going to forgive them for what they have done wrong, again, be specific. Be specific about what you're forgiving them for. Tell them that, tell them, repeat to them what exactly you are saying, I'm going to let this go. And when you do that, it shows to them that you have heard their confession and you will not hold this incident against them ever. Reconcile with endurance and freedom. The fourth key, oops, sorry. Um, the fourth key here is to reconcile with hope and change. I just realized I had misplaced the number here on my slide. It should be number four. Number four, reconcile with hope and change. We see this in verse 14. In verse 14, just as a reminder, it says, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 14 here tells us to put on love. Why? Because love binds all things together in perfect harmony. That means there will be peace. When you reconcile, you are, you are reconciling with a certain hope that there will be peace, that there will be a hope that things will change. 
And we have to remember this when we deal with conflict, because when we're dealing with conflict, we're not just fixing a problem. You're dealing with sin. And when we're dealing with sin, we're not just saying, stop doing sin, forgiven, that's it. We're talking about being transformed into the image of Christ. And therefore, when we, we are to put on love, because love not only bears all things, it believes all things, love also hopes all things. And so when, you, when you're seeking to resolve conflicts, it requires a certain determination and a plan to change, to, to, to put to death what is earthly in you and to put on Christ. What forgiveness does is forgiveness allows you to do that. Forgiveness enables you to change because forgiveness removes the weight of guilt and shame so that you are free to put on love and to help each other grow in your walk with Christ. Forgiveness provides hope for true change. And what we see here then, what we see here then is that putting on love means willing to work through the difficulties and hardships of true change. It means you're willing to work through all these things to recognize that change is not going to be instantaneous. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. And it's going to take all these attributes, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness. And this is something you can practice now. Practice now in your relationships with your friends. Practice now you're dating with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Because how you resolve conflicts now in your single state of life will reveal how you will deal with conflicts in your marriage. Right? You, you can't think that, you know, when you get married because that relationship is different, you're going to deal with conflicts differently. That's not the case. And you have to remember that marriage doesn't instantaneously, instant, uh, sorry, doesn't like instantaneously change who you are on the inside. It's you're being married, but there's still a, there's still a process of being changed, of being transformed. Because you have to remember you and the other person are not perfect at all ever in this lifetime. You are constantly growing. And I pray that, you know, by the time you reach marriage, that you are more sanctified, you're holier than you are today, that you're growing in your faith. But what we have to recognize is that this growth is a lifelong journey. So you don't just put it, you don't just put on love and you're set for the rest of your life. You're constantly putting to death your old self and putting on Christ. The only difference that you see in marriage is that you will be doing this together with your companion for life. And so remember that this takes work. To put on love takes work so that you may go on this lifelong journey of transformation to become more and more like Christ. And to put on love, then, it's also a reminder that putting on love is not to pursue your own personal comfort, but it's to pursue peace with the other person. Because that ultimately is the goal for conflict resolution, right? To have peace. To live in harmony with one another. To live in peace with one another. And, and when you do that, when you're able to live in peace with one another, that's a portrayal of a transcendent love. A selfless love. A love that's unlike any that's found in this world. right? A love that's able to truly forgive. It's a love that des that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This ultimately is what the Christian life is all about. And so does your dating relationship demonstrate this kind of love? Will your marriage demonstrate this kind of love? Will you 
in your relationship with your friends, your families, and yes, even with your exes, will those relationships portray this kind of love, one that seeks reconciliation and peace? Now, talking about exes, I do want to take some time to to examine these principles that we've just covered and apply them to breakups. Because in the dating world, breakups, breakups are a part of it. And, and, and the reason why I'm leaving this to the end is because our goal as Christians when we're dating is not to break up. Our goal is to reconcile. That should always be the goal. But nonetheless, we do face breakups. And then that happens. And so when we're talking about breakups, or we're, we're talking indeed about relationship conflicts. And the difference between dating and marriage is this, is that in marriage, that relationship is being held by a lifelong covenant that we cannot break. But when we're dating, there's no such covenant. Right? And when we're dating, there's no such covenant, which is why people are able to break up. But it also makes breakup that much harder. Because when, when people break up, oftentimes it's like finding the easy way out. And, and when, so when you, when you find an easy way out of something that's difficult and you don't ever actually address it, when, when breakups are done poorly in this way, it provides no reconciliation and hence it provides no peace. And that's really hard to deal with. And I, I truly believe that the, the, the concepts, the, the principles, the, the keys that we just saw here in Colossians can also help you navigate through breakups in a biblically healthy way. And again, let me first say that breakups are indeed hard. They're painful. They, they lay a toll upon us emotionally, mentally, physically, right? Because it's because you lose something in a breakup. You, you, you lose... You lose, a, a, you lose companion that you dedicated your time and heart to. You lose a hope for a future. You lose someone who you trust. When, when we consider these, these principles here, the first, two, the first two key principles, right? It's, it's the same. It looks the same in all breakups. It's separate yourself. Separate yourself intentionally to spend time with God, to meditate, to process through your emotions and your thoughts. Right? This, this is time that you need to take when you're going through a breakup. That you, you need to take some time alone to be with God, to read his word, to journal your thoughts, and to pray to him. This is also time for you to separate yourself and talk to mentors, to talk to godly people whom you trust, to seek out God and his riches of grace and mercy. Remember that God loves you freely and abundantly. This is important for you to remember because breakups often leave you feeling vulnerable. It leaves you feeling insecure about your future. Breakups often leave you feeling vulnerable, insecure about your dignity, about your self-worth. And so you, are, you need to remind yourself, Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it tells, us that, tells you that even as God's enemy, Christ died for you, how much more then will God care for you as his child? That is an amazing truth to cling on to. That even while you were an enemy of God, God sent his son to die on the cross for you so that you could become his child. How much more than now as his child will he care for you and give you all things? And this is a truth for you to cling on to in the midst of your breakup because it reminds you that you are worthy of Christ's blood upon your soul. You are being transformed because of his grace. And you are secure in the palm of God's hand. Put on then, put on then compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, meekness. Allow time for you to heal, to, to heal these wounds. And to heal, to truly heal, it, it may take weeks, 
It may take months, it may take years. I can't tell you how long it'll take. Well, I can tell you is to be faithful, to continue reading and dwelling upon God's word, to continue seeking counsel from godly people, and to remember to keep serving the church. Right? It's an important factor to, to deal with when you're going through a breakup is to stay active both in your private life and in your public life. It's, it's, it's so that you don't allow your emotions to freeze you to inaction. But instead, to move forward, you are to move forward by faith, trusting that God will lead you to greener pastures. And then when we come to the third principle that we saw, reconciling with endurance and freedom. And and when we talk about this in the midst of a breakup, it's going to actually look different. It's going to look different depending on the relationship that you have with the other party. And what we have to remember is that the goal is the same. The goal is to have peace with one another. The goal is to have peace with one another. But you have to ask yourself, who is one another, right? When you're that, we, if scripture tells us all the time to love one another, to bear one another, to, to, to walk with one another, right? But who is this one another? And, and, and what we see, if you study scripture, you see that the context is always the church perfect harmony can only be found amongst believers and and what that means what that means is that you find true fellowship with other brothers and sisters in christ and this doesn't mean you can't be good friends with unbelievers but but your harmony your 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 synchronization with unbelievers will never be as pristine as with your church family and so if you're to examine then your relationship with the with your ex, if you're examining your relationship with your ex, you first have to ask yourself, is your ex a believer? Because if your ex is an unbeliever, I, I actually think the goal here, the goal here is first to come to a place of compassion and humility, right? A place where you're able to get to so you can forgive him or her. But I don't believe you need to rebuild a certain relationship with that person. You don't need to. You can actually move on without feeling the need to do that. Um, think about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15 tells us about a, a marriage, a married people between a believer and unbeliever. And it says that if an unbelieving spouse leaves, Paul writes in there, he says, let it be so. Don't pursue. Let it be so. And if this is what God commands from us in an unbalanced marriage. And I think the principle applies the same for an unbalanced dating relationship to move on from it. And again, this doesn't mean that you can't no longer be friends with the person, but it does mean that you don't, I don't think you need to rebuild that relationship because the goal is not for you to get back together with an unbeliever. The goal for you is to make, is to find a way to bring that unbeliever to Christ. And that's not going to be on you because of the history between you two. You're going to have to pray and trust that God will bring someone else along him, alongside with that person. So God will bring someone else alongside that person without that history so that that person can think clearly about what they need to do to fix their relationship with God. But let's say your ex is a believer. And then and that's the case. I, I do think, again, we need to find some way to find closure and reconciliation with that believer. And but we have to remember you're you're doing this. If your ex is a believer, you're finding that reconciliation, you're finding that peace, not for your sake, not just for your sake, but also for the sake of the church. And I believe this again needs to be a little bit nuanced. So let's take a look at two situations with this. First, say if your ex is a believer from another local church, a different local church than the one you're going to. I believe then one conversation is really all that's needed, right? Again, spend some time apart, right? You need a process. This may take days. This may take weeks. It may take months. But then when you're in the right place and when the other party's in the right place, ask if you can have one last conversation for closure. Ask if you can do that. But then after that, move on as acquaintances. Move on as acquaintances. And I, I say this because your your focus of building deep relationships should first and foremost be with your local church, not with other local churches. Not saying they're not important, 
but you're committed to your local church for a reason, to build a community of deep relationships. And so be acquaintances, be friendly acquaintances, but make sure your deep relationships are tied to your church. And so your and so the goal with a, with if your ex is a believer from our church is to come to a place where you forgive one another to to not hold anything against each other, but then to recognize that you have moved on both in your both separate contexts, to build your own communities, your own friendships, and then move on with your own lives. But if your ex does go through, goes does go to the same church, and you guys belong to the same community of. I believe then that the context here is a little different because the local church is built upon a certain unity, a certain death and a certain peace, right? In, in their relationships. And you're going to see this X, you know, every week in service and fellowship and you, you can't really avoid each other. And so something else needs to be addressed here. And it's important that this gets addressed within the church because because when we deal with breakups within the church, within, especially within the same church, you're oftentimes, the, your friends, they're tempted to, to take sides and, and we can't do that. We can't allow division to run through the church. And so there needs to be reconciliation. And again, spend some time apart. Spend some time apart to, to process, right? This, you don't, this doesn't need to be quick. Take days, takes weeks, takes months. Don't know what it'll, don't know how long it'll be, but you need to reach a place, reach a place where both parties are ready to talk about it. In other words, put on patience during this during this process. Come to a place where you're both ready to talk about the breakup, both ready to forgive one another, and both ready to reconcile. And then after that comes the hard work of rebuilding a relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ serving at the same church. And this, this, may involve, this may involve some awkward small talk. This, this may mean you just have to hang out in the same group of friends. And what you're trying to do here is you're trying to build a different context, to build a, a different way of thinking about this person whom you have dated before in the past. Right, the goal is to build a relationship so that you, when you see each other, you see each other as friends and not as exes. And this will take time. It will take years. You're going to have to put on love and work through this. Because what you need to build with this other person is new experiences, new conversations, and new memories of each other that are not you two as a couple, but you two as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you do that, when you pursue this, remember the last principle that you can reconcile with the hope of change because both of you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Remember that the blood of Christ is stronger than your past relationship. That peace can be, can be achieved because God has saved you both. And you can reach a place where you can talk about your past relationship freely without any pain or hurt because you have built a different relationship on a different foundation. A foundation built on years of friendship as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm saying all this. I'm, not, I'm saying all this from experience. I'm saying all this from experience. If you guys have known me throughout, you know, the past, I don't know, six, seven years, you guys know that I've dated other people at this church before I found my, my wife now. And I've dated other girls and we've broken up and some of them, some of them have left the church. Some of them, because they had to move and go to a different, they start going to a different church. Some have remained at the church. And and I can say from experience that, especially with the with the one who, who the ones who stayed at at FCBC, our relationship is great. We have come to a place where we can indeed acknowledge we have dated in the past, but yet we see each other as friends. But you know what? That took time. It took time. But after 
after the breakups I've experienced in the past, it, it took several months before we were able to even come back together, meet up in a coffee shop and just talk and forgive one another. It took months for us to get to that place. And then it took, and then it took some years, two, three, to actually rebuild a relationship where we can see each other as friends, to be, to be able to engage each other in a way where it doesn't feel awkward, doesn't feel weird, where we feel like we have moved past beyond the breakup. Even with the girl I've dated who left the church, I remember just visiting um, her town once and, and just, and just asking if she wants to grab grab a meal, and I did it with other with, with other friends too. So, so that way it's not just awkward us, you know, one on one. But you know, it's and, but I just there's a freedom for us to be able to do that because we've moved on. But again, it took time, it took months, it took years to do so. But I'm speaking to you guys. I'm sharing all this with hope, hope that indeed things can be can indeed change. There is indeed hopeful reconciliation. This is not impossible. And I'm sharing all this because I, I understand that breakups, that the fear of breaking up with someone in the same church scares us from dating within the church. I, I hear this all the time. And trust me, trust me when I say that I believe dating within the church, and especially in the same church, is actually better it's best because you're you're work you're walking with someone whom you can serve together whom you're already aligned theologically whom you there's 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 this community already built around you for accountability when you date someone in the same church you have then other couples within that church to go to you don't have to you know meet and greet a whole new community not saying it can't be done with other believers in other churches I'm just saying that there's this context that helps you. And if you guys do end up breaking up, it will be painful. It will be, there'll be times where it feel like it's really hard. But when you reconcile, oh man, the grace of Christ feels so much, tastes so much better. When you're able to reconcile someone within the same church and you're able to walk forward in a new relationship as friends, Man, that demonstrates true reconciliation. And that demonstrates a true love that of God reigning, flowing through you, through the church. It demonstrates a reconciliation that honors God and demonstrates the peace of Christ that has been given to you. This is an amazing, an amazing thing. But and 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 the taste, the greatness, and the glory of God's grace is, is the best thing that we can enjoy. And we will be doing that for all eternity, all of us together. And so to end, the big idea for tonight is this. God reconciles his conflict with you through the blood of his son, thereby giving you the hope and security to reconcile your conflicts with others. Remember this, that your reconciliation with other people demonstrates the gospel of God reigning through you. This proclaims and gives God glory. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for your word that shows us the, the depths of your love, the, the boundless measures of your mercy that, that gives us grace. Lord, we, we, are, we are so thankful. Thankful that you have chosen to save us to send us your son to die on the cross so that we may be saved. And so, Lord, may we then take that gift of salvation and share with others. May we remember to treat one another with love, to bear one another up in their sins, and to love one another deeply, fully. I pray, Lord, for any person here tonight who may be hurting from a relationship whether they're in current conflict right now or whether they're dealing with a breakup whatever it may be lord i pray that your your love will be poured out upon them and that your grace will surely strengthen them 
I pray, Lord, that they will come to find peace in you alone. And by doing so, I pray then that they will also have the confidence to seek reconciliation with that person. And Lord, it is hard. It is tough. So I pray for your strength. I pray, Lord, for your church to walk alongside them. And I pray most of all that they will trust in you, that they will find their faith in you, and they will simply seek you out in every way. Give them patience. Allow them to have time to process through their hearts. And Lord, work. Work your grace on your own timing, on your own pace. Because you, Lord, have a plan for each and every one of us. And your plan is good. Thank you, God, for caring for us. And so be with us then. Be with us in our relationships with one another. Let us continue to build each other up and edify one another in your name, I pray. Amen.